Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the OutKick network, this is OutKick 360 with Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow, and Paul Kuharski. That's where we start, guys. Good afternoon. So I'm caught up now on the captain after yeah. watching episode four. I'm going behind. A lot of good tie-ins to the show today because Kurt Schilling was a big part of episode four where the Diamondbacks and Kurt Schilling beat the Yankees in 2001 post 9-11 and uh, that that was a you know big part of, of the story uh, in the latest episode also I was struck by that Paul's right the Braves choked a 6-0 lead in game three up 2-0 on the Yankees I was shocked to see the A's level of choke I think in 2001 maybe where they're up 2-0 and they're coming back home and they're up like four or five nothing similar situation and the Yankees came back that, uh, uh, and won with it. the tag, which was ignored in the captain and his big part of Derek Jeter lore that he did the double cutoff play, but in his own thing, he ignores it. Yeah, I think that was 2003. This was before that. It this series that came about, back, it was before it. It wasn't, I mean, they're through the whole yeah. dynasty part, and he didn't talk about it. They ignored it, which is weird. Big news in the NFL. We'll get to Deshaun Watson and the latest there in a moment. But news coming down through the league with Stephen Ross, the owner of the Miami Dolphins, uh, fined $1.5 million. He's suspended from the league until middle of October. We have all the details for you right now. Um, and they're, they've been docked a first-round pick next year and a 2024 third-round pick. This stems not from tanking on purpose, which the NFL clearly states they say did not happen. This stems from their pursuit of Tom Brady and Sean Payton from 2019 with Brady and last year with Sean Payton. And guys, it's hard not to look at the timing of this announcement with everything else going on this week with Watson um, but we've been waiting on news in regards to this investigation, which is also a, a independent private investigation through the NFL of Miami. And here is the conclusion for the tampering that took place, which was not for some reason, a big story. We had a topic about this. This was a, a local Miami, uh, outlet that covers the dolphins that had this report with an unnamed player. Turns out it was Tom Brady. Uh, Which was a pretty obvious conclusion to reach. And it went, it went further with the pursuit of Brady and ownership and how they wanted it to be Brady and Peyton in this offseason. Of course, the Dolphins end up with Mike McDaniel and they still have Tua. But it wasn't a massive story like it is today in regards to the discussion of the penalty and how harsh the NFL would view this. Well, it got swallowed up in relative short order because more was brought to light about it in conjunction with the Flores suit and the potential tank, the tanking claim. Yeah. And so the tanking claim is much bigger than this. 
I think this penalty is good on the one hand. I mean, the the draft pick punishment is pretty significant. Though, I think if you put it in the same year, it really hurts a team. They put it in consecutive years. So, 2023 first rounder and 2024 third rounder for a team that just dealt a lot away for Tyreek Hill. Which they have a first rounder still in 2023. Yeah, which They're is losing uh, one of them. somewhat surprising. Yeah. They are uh, severely diminished in uh, the upcoming drafts. Yeah. Um, based on that trade and these penalties. So I think that is a severe punishment for tampering. The suspension is ridiculous. To suspend him till October 17th is like, hey, go do what Daniel Snyder's been doing and take a little yacht trip. That Um, yacht that you met Tom Brady on? Enjoy that yacht a little bit more until October. So that's ridiculous. The fine, $1.5 million, we all know how insignificant that is to an NFL owner. So good job on the draft picks. Poor job on the suspension. Um, and you made it sound like the, uh, the, the tanking thing is dead. Is the tanking thing it's dead? dead? They it's said, dead. they said they found no evidence of them losing it's, on purpose. It's it, dead. That is a direct quote from the league. Well, see, I don't think that the, the, that to me miscasts the question. The question isn't, did they try to lose on purpose? The question is, did Stephen Ross indicate to Brian Flores he wanted him to he, lose on purpose? He did. So let's get into this, okay? Because I've I've read Those the entire two things, I've read the entire document. I've read the entire response from Stephen Ross uh, on this. By the way, I have a seven and eight year old girl softball draft tonight. I have not been docked a first round pick, so I'm ahead of Stephen <laughs> well, Ross. So good far. luck to you that it there's, stays that way. There's, there's still time. There's been a little tampering that's gone on. I will now, admit to, but we I've yet look, to be caught Chad, and docked a before, pick. Before you dive into this, I want to clarify something. The, the The Dolphins, keep in mind, they have two first rounders next year, right? The, the other first rounder comes from San Francisco. Yes. For the Trey Lance trade. Yeah, that, that's what I said. They still have one remaining because of the trade. Yeah, so they came out ahead so they, between Lance they lost their and second Hill. One. Yeah, yeah. They, they still have another first it's round pick. It's their own pick, I'm pr- I would presume, that's being taken away. Yes. So um, th- this is, this is a, wild, a wild statement from Stephen Ross in, in all of this. Um, and we, we, we dissected this with Armando Salguero yesterday on the Browns end of it and how it was the perfect, I actually did a Fox News minute on this, the perfect non-apology from the Browns. Oh, I'm sorry if anyone's triggered. Oh, uh, Deshaun is super remorseful about the situation, but not about anything that he's done. So Stephen Ross says, the independent investigation cleared our organization on any issues related to tanking and all of Brian Flores's other allegations. As I have said all along, these allegations were false, malicious, and defamatory, and the issue is now put to rest. There he is. He's putting it to rest, okay? With regards to tampering, I strongly disagree with the conclusions and the punishment. However, I will accept the outcome because the most important thing is that there be no distractions for our team as we begin an exciting and winning season. How is he saying he strongly disagrees with it? It seems to me they got a pretty good case that all these things happen. Probably from principles of the case. Probably from Tom Brady and Sean Payton talking about it with the NFL about well, discussions they had. But he's he's over not, the years. For in the case of Brady, we're talking about over multiple years. But he had what he did is he was insulated. Um, you know the way I the way I read it earlier today was he had this guy last name Bill. Who was, was the liaison? He was the liaison for Ross in the direct contact with Brady's management while he was in New England in 2019. So he covered himself. 
Um, but I mean, it, again, like to a it, degree, it was also made clear that that was under the direct order, and Ross knew about it. Yeah, buck stops with him, kind of thing. Now, the other part of this, and I'm trying to pull up the exact wording, but I, I can paraphrase uh, pretty easily on this. Roger Goodell's league statement about tampering and about tanking was the league said there's no evidence of tanking. In fact, they beat the Patriots and they beat Cincinnati close to the end of the season. So the team clearly was not tanking. Then they get into this weird verbiage of it also is important that in the position of an owner of a team that you not joke in a way that could be deemed serious when it comes to issues of game integrity. They basically admit that Stephen Ross would joke with people around the building about, not joke, he would talk openly about caring more about draft position than wins. And that he did joke with Stephen Ross about a $100,000 bonus. With Flores. Sorry, sorry. Stephen Ross joked with Flores about the $100,000 bonus per loss. They're saying that without fully stating it. But also saying there's been no witness to this other than Flores, who's claiming it. They could not find a witness that said that he made these, these, these bribes in order to tank and lose games. And the evidence is there that they simply didn't intentionally lose games. So no harm, no foul. But we've talked with Stephen Ross that it's important in your position that if any issue of we should lose this game intentionally for draft position comes up, you can't even jokingly respond with a friend and say, I'd offer up $100,000. To, to Flores if he would help make that happen. So Mike Florio says that Goodell is going to read the riot act about tampering and about tanking to the owners next week at a meeting. And I get what you're saying, Chad, um, about that. Don't joke about it. So now it, it becomes a more taboo thing. This tells us that Flores didn't have the receipts or the receipt that he claimed he has in terms of some kind of documentation of this, But still, I think the league is missing a broader point here. The fact that Flores didn't tank and have his team tank is one thing. That's what he said, basically. He said he got fired for not doing it, or that was part of his claim. And I think any coach in the league wouldn't do it, would rebuff an urge from an owner to do it. Um, though in Cleveland, you couldn't help but do it because your roster was so bad. Uh, but you, Jackson's a terrible coach. Also, the point is there's a huge difference between a thematic desire for it to be done and doing it. And Stephen Ross is not innocent if he was even like laying it out there. And this is a way to lay it out there if you want it done, to smartly lay it out there, to jokingly put it out there in a consistent way where your employers might take it seriously get the message because you keep doing it and you keep doing it, that makes it clear that you actually want it done. It doesn't matter if Flores did it or not. It matters that your message is draft position is more important to me than winning games, and that's what's running through the veins of this franchise at this time. And so if they're simply dismissing it because it wasn't done, they're missing the point. And that's a very obvious thing to everybody. So they're just 
missing the point on purpose to get rid of the story and conclude it and shift it to the tampering where there's an obvious violation. They can take draft picks, they can do the fine, and they could be done with it and wash their hands of the whole thing. It's a purposeful misunderstanding of what happened. So there's no evidence that I've seen of racial discrimination, and that is what Brian Flores sued over, racial discrimination by Stephen Ross. That's the third thing in this case, really. I don't see any any even allegation that would that would prove that or show that Stephen Ross is a racist and that's why he fired Brian Flores. But to your point, Paul, I think there's some evidence of some professional malpractice with Stephen Ross in all of this in regards to Brian Flores. Quote, this is from Roger Goodell, and I found the exact quotes from the, the report. Stephen Ross expressed his belief that the Dolphins' position in the upcoming 2020 draft should take priority over the team's win-loss record. Again, this is being made by the owner of the team. He said this frequently to team president and CEO Tom Garfinkel, but he also made general manager Chris Greer, senior vice president Brandon Shore, and coach Flores aware of this desire that he had. Okay, This is not joking. This is him stating draft position more important than wins to, to these principles involved. Now, there's, here's where Goodell gets into the joking part of this. Quote, an owner or senior executive must understand the weight that his or her words carry and the risk that a comment will be taken seriously and acted upon, even if that is not the intent or expectation. Even if made in jest and not intended to be taken seriously, comments suggesting that draft position is more important than winning can be misunderstood and carry with them an unnecessary potential risk to the integrity of the game. He goes on to talk about what we talked about Yesterday, it applies to Deshaun Watson. The integrity of the game matters more than anything. To the NFL, to Roger Goodell, to everyone. And any violation that hurts the integrity of the game is the most serious risk to the NFL. It, uh, and I completely agree that it is. I mean, it's the integrity aspect of the behind-the-scenes nature of the sport. You, you have to maintain that everything's on the up and up. But... He's also not wrong by saying that draft position is more than winning games for that season. It's absolutely a fact. So if he said that behind the scenes, that's true. Actually, thinking about stealing something and actually doing it are two different things. Sure. Yes, but also and, if, if, and I don't know that he can prove it, but if Brian Flores, again, I don't know why he's throwing the racial element into it, but if Brian Flores could somehow prove that he was fired for not losing more, then they would have a problem. Well, they're 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 penalizing him solely based on what they can prove, which is the tampering. Correct. Right. And I mean, as far as the the fine goes and the penalties involved, so he he's suspended from team operations as the team owner until the middle of October. He does not attend any NFL league meetings until the league the official the big a league meeting in 2023. Even Which though a lot of these guys don't want to be at. He's back in. And then the um, uh, Mr. Beal, the, one of the minority owners. Uh, Who was of, the buffer guy in this. Yes. He will uh, not be allowed to attend meetings either this entire year. He's also docked $500,000. In terms of fines, um, I mean, you can go to what we've seen Robert Kraft get fined, what we've seen others I mean, we saw a $10 million fine to Washington, a million and a half here. I mean, I realize a million and a half isn't much for these billionaires, but I don't know what penalty 
makes everyone happy in this it's case. 500 for Beal, too, who probably gets that covered by Ross, right? I guess. So, I mean, I, you don't know how that works, but how can they prove that Ross is paying it or not paying it? You don't know. Right. Um, if all of this is interesting. The, the, biggest, the biggest point, though, to me is they say blatantly in here there is no evidence that anyone intentionally lost a game within that Miami never lost on purpose. I believe that. I so, totally believe that they never lost a game, but I don't think that's the broader point. I think the broader point is, were they encouraged to lose a game? And I believe they were encouraged to well, lose a game. And I believe that's big. The but if, if, bigger if, than if the conversation behind the scenes is uh, draft position is more important than winning this game, that's a fact, especially when you're not going to the postseason. That, what do you think Seattle's doing right now by not addressing the quarterback position this offseason? Well, we, as we've said, though, Hutt, not doing it's, something it's, to your roster is different than not doing something on game day. And it's but, also... But it, they to, did nothing on game day according to the league. Yes, they're done with the tanking thing. They did not tank. It is over and done with. The point here, though, is it is Stephen Ross claiming, guys, I was joking. I was joking about the $100,000 bribe to, to Flores. And Flores is saying he's not joking. But where it looks bad is, was Brian Flores legitimately fired because he didn't tank that's the issue the league would have after the fact later on was this the biggest reason because Stephen Ross and you said it he's right draft position does matter at that point in the season more than winning games if he is repeating that line around the office to everyone that'll listen and saying to Brian Flores and Brian Flores can later prove that that's why he was fired yeah because he didn't bow down and give in to the integrity of the game and tried to win and tried his best that's a problem for Stephen and Ross. And I don't think it has to be. But I don't know be, how they prove that. Right. And again, because the race card was thrown in here, it blurs everything with all of this. And I don't think it has to be the sole reason he's fired, right, Chad? Is it, is it 70%? Is it 60%? If it's a significant percentage of it, it's a problem. But again, these are unprovable things. And here's another thing. A lot of these owners are morons. Right? I mean, Stephen Ross is a businessman in, in commercial real estate and stuff has done very well. And redoing uh, Hard Rock Stadium has done very well. And a lot of realms has done very well. Has he done some stupid stuff as an owner in the course of this stuff? Uh, yes. And are they willing to accept some stupid stuff? I mean, I, I can imagine Goodell saying, to, you know, to his cronies inside the building, crap, this is nothing compared to, to Daniel Snyder. We're, we're lucky. We're going to go uh, a layer and, and two layers deeper on all of this with Michael McCann from Sportico. He's about to join us. We will get back into uh, Watson and the ruling from Judge Sue L. Robinson as well. Uh, Michael McCann, legal expert from Sportico, joins us next. Aurora Nutriscience, a trusted partner with Outkick 360. They help us stay mentally sharp and healthy. Aurora delivers your supplements where you need them most, your body. VitaLifeScience.com is the website. VIDALifeScience.com is where you can see more information. Our OutKick 360 season ticket holders receive a 15% discount with the code OutKick360. Typical pills, capsules with your vitamins, not well absorbed. In fact, most are only absorbed in your body in small, very small amounts, and your digestive system breaks these pills down until there's little left for you to benefit from. But here's Aurora, unique, cutting-edge, nutritional, and absorbable supplements encapsulated in liposomes that ensure greater absorption in the body's bloodstream. Check out VitaLifeScience.com for more information. V-I-D-A-LifeScience.com. 15% off with the code OUTKICK360 at VitaLifeScience.com. What's up, everyone? It's Nick Wright, and I got something exciting to talk to you about today. 
Angie, your ultimate destination for getting all your jobs done well. Now, Angie isn't just your average home services marketplace. It's a game changer with over 150 million homeowners served and a network of over 200,000 skilled pros. Angie has experience and expertise to tackle any project with ease. Whether you're looking to spruce up your backyard or undergo a major home renovation, Angie's got your back and their pros are locally based, often running small businesses right in your community. And here's the best part. Angie makes the process seamless from researching and comparing pros to scheduling services at your convenience. Angie's user-friendly platform puts you in control. So why settle for anything less than perfection when it comes to your home? With Angie, you can trust every project will be completed with the utmost care and professionalism. So get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I or download the app today to discover why homeowners across the nation are turning to Angie to get all their jobs done well. Time to dive in on the details with the Watson suspension and this morning news coming out through the league of the fine and uh, the suspension and the uh, docking of the first round and future third round pick for the Miami Dolphins for tampering with Tom Brady and Sean Payton. Now kick 360 rolls on. Michael McCann, legal expert with Sportico, always nice to join us, especially on a day like today where there is plenty to discuss. Michael, we appreciate it as always. Hey, thanks for having me back on. Biggest takeaway in reading the statements and analysis from the league with the Dolphins what is item zero for you at the top of the list? I, I think their explanation of conversations between Dolphins owner Stephen Ross and Brian Flores jumped out to me as the most important part of that report. And I say that because Flores has said, as we know, that Ross offered to pay him $100,000 to lose every game. That report doesn't contradict that, which I thought w- was pretty interesting. And the report says, well, it wasn't, meant to be taken seriously if i'm flores lawyer i'm going to say serious to who i mean this is if you're the coach and the owner who could fire you and ultimately did fire him is saying i'll pay you a hundred thousand dollars to lose that that doesn't seem like a joke to me and and i know the nfl sort of portrayed it as a joke but that that jumped out at, at to me at least and also flores's claims that there was tampering were verified by this report. So this is a good report for Brian Flores. So let's take it to the next step now for Brian Flores' attorney and legal team. How difficult now is it to prove that he was fired uh, for mostly because he did not lose games the way the owner wanted him to lose games? Yeah, I think it's going to be hard to prove that because there's so many factors, as we know, that go into hiring and firing. And I think this is this is sort of a fundamental challenge for Flores is that it's hard to pinpoint why someone is fired. And coaches have a lot of, excuse me, owners have a lot of discretion with firing coaches. So to prove that it was because he didn't go along with the tanking scheme is going to be tough. But in a way, he doesn't have to get that far in the case. If he gets to pretrial discovery and there are emails and texts that undermine the league and undermine the Dolphins, 
that could be problematic for the league and maybe put them in a position where a settlement makes more sense. What did you make of the million and a half fine for uh, for Ross in this and uh, the, the penalties of, of the draft picks itself, the first round next year and then the future third round in, in relation to other fines and suspensions that you've seen across the league for owners? Yeah, so so the the league is limited to some degree by the Constitution in terms of the amount of fine that can be imposed in terms of the draft. Obviously, a million and a half is a ton of money, but if you're a billionaire, maybe it's not a, quite as meaningful. It's, I still think it's it's a lot of money, of course. But in terms of the draft picks, that's where it hurts the Dolphins, where we know the Patriots lost draft picks in Deflategate. We know the Saints uh, have been punished. I mean, there are other teams that have had draft pick forfeitures. And I think that really gets to a harm to a team where these draft picks are worth so much. Even if they don't use the pick, we know they can trade them. So that's a pretty steep penalty for the Dolphins to lose a first and a third. And I, and I think the league is really trying to send a message, not only to the Dolphins, but to every other team. Look, you have to take this seriously. Tampering and tanking really undermine the league product. It undermined the idea that teams are playing on a level playing field. If one team is essentially cheating, and we know the Dolphins aren't the first to do this. I'm not trying to necessarily pick on them, but they're the ones that are that are issued here. Uh, other teams have a stake in seeing penalties be imposed that are meaningful. Two and a half months away from the team doesn't seem like uh, a heck of a lot. Do you find that punitive in that regard? I don't. I, and I think, Paul, you're getting to this, the idea that what is a what is an owner suspension? What does that even actually do? I mean, the owner's obviously not playing. They're not coaching. They can't go to their facility. I mean, they can still watch the game at home. I, I think, honestly, it's more stigmatizing. It's a way of saying, you know, you're, we're tarnishing you in a way that you've been held, you've been held wrong. You've been held to have engaged in wrongful conduct. And we're excluding you from this club of owners. Uh, in a way, I think the sort of social stigma to that might be more meaningful. But I agree. It doesn't really do anything to have an owner not physically able to show up. I mean, they, I, I think it's more symbolic and, and stigmatizing than anything else. When you read through the 16 pages of Sue L. Robinson's report, from a legal standpoint, and it, it's clearly a legal document when she's going through all the, the allegations and what could be proven and what could not be proven, what jumped out to you the most in her argument about sexual assault, what is sexual assault, and also the burden of proof in, in the case with the NFL? Yeah, I thought she did a good job of explaining the distinction between saying what Watson did was wrong and coming up with a penalty that matches what the rules say. And she's obviously been criticized, the idea that he's not being punished severely enough. But her report makes clear that she found his behavior egregious. She said it was predatory conduct. She used pretty strong words. But the problem for the NFL, as she wrote, is that they're arguing for a penalty that goes against precedent, that isn't collectively bargained, and there isn't a league document that verifies that that's the appropriate penalty. She, she's really saying, in essence, look, NFL, you and the Players Association, if, if, if you think you want to punish a suspended player for a year plus an indefinite period thereafter, and I would say that's a ban. If you're punished at least a year plus an indefinite period, that means you could be gone forever, potentially. And she said there's no there's no textual support for that kind of penalty. So uh, I thought 
she did a good job of explaining her reasoning. I know, again, she's been criticized, but uh, as a lawyer, I would say it was a it was a logical document, even if the outcome maybe isn't fair. Maybe maybe he should be punished more. I get that. But at the same time, she's she has to follow the law. You know, we want judges to apply the law, right? We don't want them creating new laws on the bench. We, we hear that all the time. I think she's stuck by that. Michael McCann is the legal expert at Sportico, among other titles, uh, and his great background. And you can follow him on Twitter, at McCann Sports Law. So the league doesn't get to break precedent based on, on her ruling. Do you think that is a big rationale, perhaps, for them appealing this and getting it in the hands of Goodell or his, his designee uh, because they can up it and create a new precedent for the next the next time. Yeah, they could do that, but the risk with that option is we know Watson's going to sue if they do that. I mean, he's made it all but clear. He also hired Jeffrey Kessler, who Tom Brady used, who also defeated the NCAA 9-0 at the Supreme Court. It, the, the, Watson and the Players Association are, are prepared to go to court. So yeah, the NFL can do that, and Goodell can elevate the suspension to a season plus an indefinite period or 12 games or whatever. And he will be applauded by, I think, most of the public. Most would say that's right, that the penalty should be higher. The problem with that strategy is it goes to court. And we know the NFL has won disputes with players in court. But I would say a couple things. One is, this is different. The other, Tom Brady didn't have Sue Robinson. Uh, Adrian Peterson didn't have Sue Robinson. Ezekiel Elliott didn't have Sue Robinson. This is a game changer. This changes the facts where there's now a retired federal judge who is essentially saying the NFL is making up a new policy as it goes and that it didn't provide notice to Watson that if you commit this infraction, as egregious as it is, here's the penalty. So, yeah, the NFL can do that, but the NFL has to be prepared to go to court to argue that, too, I would say. So. To me, that changes the calculus. And while that's going on, he could, in effect, play, I would presume. And I guess what you're also saying, Michael, is based on the element of, of Sue Robinson in this case, he has a chance to actually win the appeal if he were to sue the league, unlike Brady, who did not win but still played while he was waiting on that appeal to go through the court system. Yeah, and Jonathan, with Brady, he, you're right, he lost. He did win at the district court level, and he got one of the three appellate judges. That's still a loss. I'm not, you know, it's yeah. a loss is a loss. He, it, it wasn't a shutout. And you, you change who's the judge on the appellate level, the outcome might have been different. But I would say here, yeah, I mean, this is, a, this is a risk to the NFL. Do they want a case that will likely go to the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Second Circuit that will go into 2023? Maybe they do. Maybe, maybe they believe that that's the long-term calculus. But it also means that this isn't going away. Just like Brady's case went in went on for a year, this case likely would be poised to do the same. Would your legal advice, if the NFL came to you and asked what to do in this case, would it be to just sit with the policies that you've put in place and allow this suspension to be upheld and let someone else, a third party that has done this for a living, adjudicate whatever penalties happen with, with discipline across the league? Yeah, I mean, I, my my. Gut is that they appeal, but it's like 60-40. I, I don't feel certain about it like I did in the past. And I would tell the NFL, 
look, you, you, he's suspended six games. I know that's not enough that the league wanted more. I know the public demands more, but there is a risk moving forward. It's you'll win the battle, right? The battle is Roger Goodell or a designee. Here's the appeal. And the suspension goes up and the NFL will be applauded and there'll be favorable media coverage. I mean, there'll, there'll be all of that. I would say, what about what happens next? What happens next is there's litigation and it goes to federal court. And suddenly, if you didn't do a good job explaining why Sue Robinson, a retired federal judge for more than a quarter of a century, who wrote a pretty logical opinion that she got it wrong, this goes now to a federal judge who is going to take, I think, a closer look at this than what occurred in previous cases. So I, I would tell the league, be reticent here. This is not this is not an easy path ahead if you challenge it. How did you interpret her opinion on the fact that he did not go on the commissioner's list last season and, uh, for lack of a better way, the time served by not playing uh, and the fact that he wasn't on, on that list that would have accounted for uh, games missed based on how they handled it a year ago compared to right now and also the fact that she she also put in there that he could win an argument if he used, and I think they may have done this, uh, and correct me on the details, that not only the players and how they've treated the players, but how they've treated owners that uh, have been disciplined in the past compared to players in this, in this situation, regardless of the fact that there's a CBA overseeing the players in this. Yeah, so, so I, I think the, the point about the commissioner's exemplist is important because he wasn't put on it and the league could have put him on it. It didn't. Now I know I've read that it was because he didn't want to play for the Texans, that this is a different, this is a more complicated scenario than just merely their allegations. But look, if you words matter and if is, there's no hidden suspension, there's no hidden com, commissioner's exemplist. If he should be, if he should have been considered punished in the past, then the, classification should have been there. It should have been, he's on the commissioner's exemplist. It can't be, you know, to use her words, retroactively applied. And she made a big point of that, retroactive. It's sort of the criticism of the NFL is that there's kind of going back in time to change the rules and, and changing them to when the conduct occurred. You can't do that. You know, just like if someone breaks a law and, and then the public says, well, I can't believe the defendant is only sentenced to 10 years in prison for what they did. Well, if the statute says it's 10 years, the judge can't say, well, I, you know, this is really bad. I'm going to make it 30 years. We don't allow that. And similar, she, I think she used the same logic here. Do you, do you say, do you read that and think that she's saying, based on the, the, the retroactive aspect of this, that the suspension would have been a, a season in six games? Is that how you view it? Or do you view it as if last year would have been on the exempt list, then uh, the fact that he didn't go on that, it could have been zero here. Um, like, is it less or more based on her statement? Yeah, I don't. I don't. I, I don't think she clarified that. I mean, I think we have to sort of infer from what she said. Uh, I think to me, her larger point was, you know, we can't say he's on the exempt list when he wasn't. I guess if he had been on it, then that would be considered some sort of sanction. Although the exempt list is structured so that the player is not considered to have broken any rules, but is only separated from the team because they're accused of it. Just like 
in a workplace administrative leave when there's an employee accused of misconduct the in the company's investigating we sort of separate the employee from the company without a finding of fact so i i don't know if there's even this case if if he had been on the exemplus i think it really just changes history is there any way for Goodell or any commissioner to win when he's policing the owners who employ him? It, 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 you get any sense of if ownership is happy, if ownership, the rest of ownership wants him to, to put it there, his foot down on somebody like Ross, on somebody like Snyder, or, you know, how delicate a balance you think that is there when, when he's, he's disciplining his bosses? Yeah, you got it. I think it's real tough. I think it's tough for a commissioner to discipline the one audience that can fire him, right? That's really, at the end of the day, they decide his employment in ways that no other constituency can, including even Congress. And I I think to defend Goodell for, just for a moment, I think he would say he has punished owners. Uh, Jim Irsay was punished uh, years ago. Uh, so, and also I think he has claimed that Snyder was effectively punished by being separated from control of the team, that his wife is now controlling the team. At least Goodell has sort of framed that as a sort of punishment. But yeah, look, I mean, it's fair to say, I think players can say it does seem as if there's inequity where owners are treated more favorably than players, but the counter argument is. The players are governed by a CBA. Owners are governed by a separate document, the league constitution. It, it's also hard to, to force an owner to leave. I think that's the other part of this. It's, it's not as if saying, well, you know, we don't want Daniel Snyder to own the Washington team that we can just make him go away. It's almost impossible. We've never seen it. You got to get three quarters of owners to agree to get rid of one, someone they probably know pretty well. And who knows what other owners have done that could merit their own scrutiny. So yeah, it's, it's a tough spot, but this is the nature of leagues. I, I was under the assumption, um, and I think many were, especially late in the fall, winter of this storyline, that if he settled, that would be used against him. And I, by, by, the, by her phrasing of restitution, I take, and that was a mitigating factor, it helped him in many ways. At least that's my... In, that's how I interpreted this yesterday. Did you do the same, or is is she referencing something else completely separate of the settlements? Yeah, no, I think she's referencing that because I, it's not clear what else it would. I think as you're, you're you know you're you're getting it, it's hard to know what else that would be other than that. So it did play a factor, and and look, if if he had settled these cases early on, then the NFL would have been in a really tough spot to investigate because the settlements would have presumably included non-disclosure agreements. So it would have made it very hard to, would have made it yeah. very hard, you know, for media to investigate it. Uh, it's a very different story. Had he, I mean, obviously I'm playing Monday morning quarterback, sure. but right. I mean, you know, this is what happens when you don't settle. And, and it's very interesting because at the Super Bowl, Goodell said he did not, he did not place Watson on the exempt list because he was waiting on the legal process to play out one way or the other. Um, and had he settled, my uh, I think the assumption was he'd go on the exempt list and not just stay and getting paid $10 million with Houston for doing nothing. Uh, but in fact, had that happened, now the, the judge in this case is saying that actually is a mitigating factor that, that helped in his overall suspension. It's a very fascinating view on it.
Because I think many thought it would hurt him if he did that. Yeah, and you're right. I mean, the timeline worked out in a way that, uh, you know, the, the exemplist ends up playing sort of a surprisingly important role where... You think Rusty Harden know, knew that? No. I mean, I, I, you know, maybe. I don't know. I, I, I think my, my gut is no, because okay. I don't think they knew what, what Judge Robinson was going to do. I mean, this is, you know, the NFL was asking for a historic punishment, a different, a different disciplinary officer might have gone along with it. A different disciplinary officer might have said, well, there's nothing in the CBA that says the NFL can't do this. I mean, there's, so there, there's a risk going to this process. Um, and a, a different retired judge might have had a very different ruling. Uh, final 60 seconds here. To me, if you're going to appeal this, you're, it's all or nothing. If the league wants a full year, if I'm Goodell... I give him the full year. I don't think there's a big difference between eight games and six games or 12 games and six games if you're trying to set a precedent. If you're, if you're appealing it and you're going to rule one way and you're, you're effectively saying it's okay for him to play week one, we're going to go through the legal battle, I'd go all in instead of just floating out a 12-game suspension and trying to have him back in December. I, I don't know how you feel about that, but legally that's how I would go about it. Yeah, I, I think if, if if the suspension goes from six to ten or twelve, I think the reaction is going to be, you know, was it worth that? Especially because he'll probably sue with any change, any any elevation of the penalty. I think he'll sue. So, is it worth the league's sort of risk to just elevate it by four or six games? Uh, I think you're right, Jonathan. I think it's it's go for the year plus. Go go for what they wanted which is a year plus an indefinite period. And the league could say, we've never had a situation like this. This is what they've been arguing, that there's no, there's no precedent and there's nothing that precludes the NFL from coming up with this punishment. Obviously, Judge Robinson saw it differently and so does the Players Association. But yeah, I think for sort of an incremental increase is not, doesn't seem like it's probably worth that uh, inevitable legal fight. Michael McCann, Sportico legal expert. Uh, it is worth the, the admission to the site for his legal uh, analysis on all things NFL, which has been the offseason of everything in the court system. Michael, thank you as always for the perspective. We appreciate it. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks. Talk to you guys later. Yep. MLB trade deadline details next on Outkick 360. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. We're diving headfirst back into the NFL news with John McClain in less than seven minutes. Glad you're with us across the Outkick Network. Today's also the deadline for trades across Major League Baseball. That comes across at 5 o'clock. So uh, we wait out the next couple hours, but really the, the breaking news is done. Soto is a padre or is headed that way. Uh, and uh, the big news yesterday, right as we went off the air, the Braves signing Austin Riley to a record contract in Atlanta. 
a lot of news, guys, about uh, about to go down officially in the next couple hours. Ten years, well over $200 million for Austin Riley, Braves third baseman. Um, I mean, Weren't able to rip him off like uh, South uh, or Central America. Yeah, but either way, I mean, they've got Ozzie Albies, they've got Ronald Acuna Jr., and they've got Austin Riley locked up for a long time. they got Matt Olson, who's also only 27 years old, at first base for the next five years. That was the trade-off of the Freddie Freeman deal was they sign Olsen to six years, the six years they would not promise Freddie Freeman because he's five years younger than Freddie Freeman, and he's having a great season also. And I'll give it, give it up to the Padres. That is a small market team that uh, has never won a title that goes for it. I mean, we can sit and make fun that, Bravo. hey, there's still that, this many games yeah. behind the Dodgers. They're never going to win anything. Bravo. But at least they are going chips on the table. They're going all – they get Soto and Josh Bell. And in from the, the meantime, in this the trade. Dodgers' move is to give up something for uh, Joey Gallo. Gallo. I mean, they gave LA. up a middling uh, minor league pitcher, Clayton Peter. But the Yankees actually moved this contract. I don't know if they took some of it, but I would have been content for them cutting it. Paul, do you view today as the guys who are in the the postseason race versus out? Well, certainly the ones who intend to be in. I'm pleased with what my team did. John McClain. With NFL headlines but he's pleased as too, but we as return. A lot to hit across the National Football League. He's with us in four minutes. <laughs> 